2: You know, I thought about this um, time and time again about, you know, how this thing was going to play out. And, you know, it was the love uh, for me still here in Minnesota. And you know, all I've been seeing is nothing but positive. So, you know, to all the Viking fans and, you know, just coming to that Metro, don't pull your 84 jerseys out, man. I think this is going to be a... A fun ride.
3: TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Minnesota Sports Rewind.
0: Welcome to another episode of Minnesota Sports Rewind, where we do deep dives into prominent Minnesota sports events, games, trades, moments, you name it. My name is Phil Mackey, and this episode is all about the 2010 Minnesota Vikings, the return of Randy Moss, and all of the things that came afterward. One of the craziest cluster bleep seasons in Minnesota sports history. Not just Vikings season, but Minnesota sports history. And our crew for this episode is Judd Zolgad, my co-host on Mackie and Jeb with Rami, who covered the Vikings that season for the Star Tribune. And uh, that was that was such a load that you decided to leave the beat writing business altogether and join us on the radio side of the fence. Not exactly inaccurate,
1: by the way. (laughs) That was uh, when the roof came down, which we'll talk about. That was the day I got that the wife came to pick me up downtown. And I said, it's now too much.
0: I've, I've seen too much. I've done too much. And uh, NFL Network's Tom Pelissera, also joining us on this episode, who at the time covered the Vikings for 1500ESPN.com. And I believe, Tom, I I I don't remember when in 2010, but I remember Judd and I at a bar. I think it might have been on our trip to New York when we were covering the Twins-Yankees and then you stayed for
3: Jets-Vikings. Randy Mott Ma- was that his debut with the Vikings? That was his debut with the Vikings. There was a lot going on. Yeah. And that was only the fourth game of the year. <laughs> and I remember
0: Judd leaned over at the bar, and he's like, if you guys got any openings over there, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm ready to be done with this. I remember day. being at a different bar <laughs> with Judd
3: after that season. It had to have been March, April, May, somewhere in there. And we were over at uh, Brit's on the rooftop when you were uh, when you were thinking of making the move
1: over. Oh, yeah. That was the year that basically did me in. There was no question about it. In fact, in fact, the only time in my life, and by the way, regional books do not sell. I'll say that. Pellicero and I actually talked long and hard about, should we do a book on this season called, And Then the Roof Collapsed? Yeah. <laughs> and it was the only time in my life, honest to God, that I've ever thought, a book might be a good idea.
0: Is that the new working I, title of this episode, by the way? Can we steal that? And hopefully then the not. Collapsed? We've had a few water
3: issues down here. so I, <laughs> sure,
1: but That was I the only not. time that I've ever talked to anybody about doing a book, and I, we actually did talk about and it. And
3: I did actually pitch it to someone and was told too episodic. So how
1: many yeah.
0: chapters?
3: This is a good segue because how many chapters would that book? Oh, somewhere it. I have it. I have the entire plan for the book. I have the pitch and everything. I don't remember how many chapters we had planned, Well, it would, if you
1: were to do it, it would start the previous, well, in 2010 in January, in a Superdome. I mean, it would start there at the end of what became the 2009, uh, well, a great year that turned into an epic game, but in all seriousness, it was the perfect book, I thought, because you you went from 2010 in a locker room full of people who basically knew that they had spent every last bit of sweat that they had, and Brett Favre, I mean, great story, right? And then we show up in Mankato, all hell breaks loose. It was, if you were ever going to do a sports book, that was it.
3: Yeah, if, as long as you don't like happy endings.
1: Happy endings are boring.
3: <laughs> Judd's never been. We'll, we'll take that out of context later. Endings. You can replay that on Mackie and Judd with Rami <laughs> ad nauseum. Happy so, endings are boring, said so Judd.
0: So to set the seed for the 2010 Vikings, I, I just want I want to set the scene and then go through. I don't know if I if I nailed everything here, but I have a summary of events, everything from sort of the end of the 2009 championship game that Judd talks about, but the Vikings were coming off a four year crescendo that culminated in a trip to the aforementioned NFC title game. Favre was physically decimated in that game. He underwent arthroscopic ankle surgery. We all saw the photos that came out of his battered and bruised legs and and ankle and so the Vikings essentially spent the entire offseason trying to figure out, is this championship window still open? Is Brett Favre coming back? Is it time to transition into a rebuild? Who would the starting quarterback be? And I found a snippet from Judd's Star Tribune article after Favre's arrival. So he they convinced him to come back, and we're going to get into all this stuff. But And this is what you wrote, Judd. All right, Favre, who wavered on his decision on seemingly a daily basis... And even told the Vikings he was going to stay retired on August 2nd, will turn 41 years old in October. He took a beating in the NFC Championship game, came away with an injured left ankle, had arthroscopic surgery for the third time in his career. And as Dr. James Andrews removed uh, scar tissue and bone spurs, was quoted as saying, it went fine. He's rehabbing and trying to decide what he's going to do. Favre, though, wasn't happy with how the ankle responded. He visited Andrews last week in Gulf Breeze. This is now uh, just after training camp. This is like August during training camp. Uh, to have the ankle examined again. Favre's decision to return comes as a surprise to no one, but the question now is what type of compensation will he get for playing? Um, he was originally thought to make $13 million, but there have been talks that now they're going to have to tweak it up to $16 million with $4 million in bonuses. So essentially, we know you're too banged up to play. You don't really want to come back. Can we throw like... Four or five more million dollars at you to please come back was the mindset going into training camp, and then this list of events took place between Favre being pried out of his home in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and the end of the year. Favre comes back. Sidney Rice needed knee surgery, but was also trying to leverage a new contract. Which, by the way,
1: to be clear, they were not transparent with with Favre. Was hip? Yeah, it was was a hip hip surgery, and he had been hurt. He was hurt coming out of the Saints game. And he needed surgery, and he knew that. And the Vikings basically said, you need the surgery. And he said, if I don't get a new contract, I'm not having the surgery. But meanwhile, nobody is transparent with Favre about Rice's status. And keep in mind, 2009, Favre made Sidney Rice. But when Favre made you, he was like an artist. So now this was his painting, and the painting was going to be taken away, unbeknownst to the guy being pried out of retirement. Percy
0: Harvin also had migraine issues or other issues. Uh, And I think his grandma died. His
1: grandma died. Camp. Well, supposedly grandma, and I allegedly, I'll I'll say it to be nice. Grandma died when he was in Mankato. He disappeared. He left. Uh, Brad was basically calling him on a daily basis when he coming back. He never came back to Mankato. Right, Tommy? Correct. And then he came and then eventually resurfaced at Winter Park.
3: And a day or two later was taken off the practice field in an
1: ambulance. Yeah. Yeah, he collapsed. Uh, He actually... um, he came out for practice, wasn't gonna he wasn't practicing. He came out to watch practice, uh, doubled over, vomited, collapsed in his vomit, and was on the field. Nobody was called for a long time. The trainers attended to him. I was told way after the fact his heart actually stopped for a second and that's when they called the ambulance and took him away. I'm not kidding.
0: Uh, and this is all this is before the season, right? This was this, this is still,
1: this is the Mankato portion of yeah. them still in what I guess would be considered training camp mode. So when we, right? when we when right. we
3: get when we get to the season, yes, back in Eden Prairie by the time Percy.
1: Correct. Collapsed. Correct. Yes.
0: Yeah.
3: So these this is all stuff. This is before the season even starts that you could this you could see things brewing. And there were other things before the season, but those are those are the high notes. Yes.
1: Well, what else? Tell us. What do you remember besides that? I mean
3: There was the Toby Gerhardt holdout. We I didn't remember Toby Gerhardt holdout. Toby Gerhardt <laughs> held out. <laughs> second round pick. Yeah. Now remember they had two second round picks there. They had Chris Cook and they had Toby Gerhardt. Yep. Chris was there on time. Toby I, I don't even remember exactly what the issue was. It was something, you know, that You know that was pre the current collective bargaining agreements. You could negotiate a little more with rookie contracts. He held out for a couple days. He comes back on like the third day of camp. They're in pads and just got his ass kicked. All right, the white running back from Stanford who held out for two days. The moment he walked on the field, you could just hear guys chirping at him about you know just oh you know welcome here. One point, Pat Williams. You know, who Pat, at that point, was, you know, 350, 360 pounds. So listen to 315, okay? Of which, <laughs> I mean, he was 315 from the waist up. He yeah. had these little tiny dancer he's a, legs. He's a great leg. <laughs> he had great, he was like a, clearly an athlete yeah, he was
1: from palerina. the waist down.
3: And then he just was massive on the top. At one point, he he uh, just flattens Toby Gerhardt, right, in a practice. Like, everybody was knocking him around, but Pat just, just roasted him at one point and, uh, how are we feeling on swearing on these podcasts? Are we okay on it? Are we trying to avoid that? Uh, this this will eventually be on the radio, so don't get us fined by the FCC. Don't FGC. do what I, well, I can't do time. I can't do a Pat Williams impression then oh, wow, wow. because it was three. It was like every third word was. Mm-hmm. Who's going coming in? Yeah, he he used four-letter words as transition. We work. were interviewing him after, but basically he was just talking smack about his teammate and just like basically you don't walk in here two days late and just yeah, come okay. out here like you're gonna. This is what's gonna happen to you. So there's <laughs> all that going on. You had Sydney, yeah, running sprints. Didn't Ray Ever- take him out too. I mean, Ray didn't need an excuse to take because Ray out. was
1: going to take you out no matter what. I thought Ray took him out
3: too. Ray Edwards,
1: were you? Were you did you go to the boxing match? Oh yeah, we went. I went. It was during I the took lockout. You. We went together. Yeah. To Thanks for remembering Grand Casino Matt. Hinkley was you that had, where it was? We went up to Duluth that office, No, I think right? it was Hinkley. No, no t- way. We went
3: all the way to Duluth. That'd or be towards Hinkley. Duluth. It was yeah. No, like Grand, it was, Grand Casino Hinkley. Yeah, it was Hinkley. Yeah. During was Hinkley. this was the fall yes, year. Yes, we went together. Ray, Ray had decided during the lockout he was going to become a boxer. And Ray, like if you saw him, like I mean, he was a big dude, like just built. I don't know what he was listed at, but he had to have been. You know, six five and two sixty, like nobody fat, or two ninety probably, like you know, big guy. Defensive end. And so I believe it was his first fight, maybe his second. I think it was his first fight. They brought in a tomato can for and him. And they so. brought in like a guy who's built like you, Phil. It was like a five foot seven pudgy white guy, but ruggedly who, handsome and charming.
1: No, he was way fatter <laughs> than you. That's I can't to be
3: remember fair to Phil. He was I'll way fatter than i do not if it was you <laughs> or you or Seaford or somebody described it as like a three Stooges routine. basically Ray could like put his hand on the guy's head while the guy's swinging at him and can't actually get at him like that was the guy and then may or may not have taken a dive, which later there's a famous video, of Ray in another fight where the guy literally takes a dive like swinging a miss and the guy's just like, oh <laughs> this goes down It was just it was just a clown show, but they they had this this group of personalities on that team that you know you got where they thought. We've got a chance if we can get Favre back, because you had, um, you know, obviously you had Sidney who was coming off a good year. At that point, seemed like he might play because every day he's just running wind sprints on the side field with Suge yep. just running back and forth, yep. Like you'd watch it. We we everybody wrote a note on it every day. Sidney's out there again. He's
0: running. You also weren't sure at that point if Sidney Rice because he was a second round pick too. You weren't sure if he was a legitimate. Top echelon wide receiver, with or without Favre, and there was there was that feeling out process in the next few years. of Was he hurt? Was he not legitimate? Did Favre well, make him? Had, was it a combination?
3: Sydney just he had injury issues constantly. I mean, that, that was his biggest thing. That's what had hurt him up until 2009 was the only year he was healthy in his entire career. But it turned
1: out that they had that he had basically come out of that Saints game, and they said, "You need surgery." And he said, "I'll get surgery when you give me an extension." They said, "We're not doing that," and so nobody really communicated after that. And so we get to training camp, and it's I think it was the first day of camp, and Rice isn't, you know, they're talking about here. Because, you know, they always tell you so-and-so is going to start on, on the pup. There's always a guy or two on the pup. And so the physically unable to perform list, Brad starts going through it. He's like Sidney Rice. And we're all like, whoa, what? And we're thinking, okay, it's some minor thing, minor setback. And to your point, Tom, as camp went along, it became very clear that this guy was hurt. And now the problem is eventually, as you're going to get to, they go get Favre out of Mississippi, and nobody really tells Brett, by the way, the guy you really liked is hurt. And then the other problem was that is the year that the Vikings, to replace Sidney Rice, worked out the trade with the Chargers for Vincent Jackson. Yes. And they had that all set up and set to go, and A.J. Smith, right, The, Mm. the GM of the Chargers, at the last second tells Rick, bleep Vincent Jackson, I'm going to squat on his rights and so now you're left with nobody, and Brett shows up finally, hey, I'm the hero, I'm back, with no wide receiver. So
0: that's the, next, that's the next notch on the timeline. So the Vikings started 0-2 in that 2010 season. They lose the rematch to New Orleans. Okay, dust yourself off, it happens. But then they lose to, to a mediocre Miami team the next week, and that's when that's when red flags start popping up. Uh, Somewhere in that first month is when the, the Vincent Jackson trade got vetoed and then they pivoted over and Bill Belichick makes Randy Moss available. So the Vikings in the first month of the season have now traded, was it a third-round pick, I believe?
1: And to be clear, too. Well, uh,
3: hold on. How how fast are we going through this? Because there's a whole receiver timeline. There are a ton of things that happen.
1: Let's do this.
0: Let's let's fly through the timeline, and then let's circle back on these these key questions. Because there's a
1: key Vincent Jackson-Rice thing here that transpires. So
0: Moss comes to the Vikings, and then within a couple weeks, he also then...
3: 27 days? Was that what it was? It was about there. Yeah,
0: 27. It was under a month. 28
1: uh, of the longest days of my life. Decides
0: yeah. he wouldn't feed uh, Tanucci's Italian restaurant food to his dog. Which, He's by the, the way, we also Friday. have
1: to get to because that's one of the most misunderstood stories and one of the most BS stories ever, ever put down in this town.
0: Brad Childress gets fired. Metrodome roof collapses. Giants game moved to Detroit. Philly game played on a Tuesday. Vikings played games at TCF Bank Stadium without heating coils. Brett Favre unconscious on the frozen tundra Punter warned Bank Stadium. Chris Cluey foreshadowing, beware the Ides of March. The Vikings whip the punter,
1: and then it turns out to be right.
0: Leslie Frazier gets the full-time job. And then uh, after all of this happens, the Vikings decide to hit the reset button and then draft Christian Ponder in 2011 and then go into the Christian Ponder era. So here's my first key question. Why ultimately... Let's start here, and then we'll explore all the landscape. Why did Brett Favre come back?
1: You want to take this one?
3: Well, you get—you said you had Steve Hutchinson explain the story, and I, I know Hutch's version, and I know the version of the people involved, in essence. So all right, here's what you have to understand. So the first time when Favre joins the Vikings 2009 – never shows up in Mankato, right? They get back to Winter Park. We everybody knew that's probably when it would happen, and sure enough, first day back after training camp, they're back in Eden Prairie, Farf comes. So the second year, everybody kind of thinks this is what's going to happen. Like we all did the song and dance every day of talking to Tavares Jackson and Sage Rosenfels as if they're going to be the quarterback. When everybody Including our buddy Sage, knew that was probably not going to happen. Like I remember me and Judd and there might have been one other person there, like a week before the end of camp that year, two weeks before the end of camp, talking with Sage about like asking him about, you know, possibilities, where is he gonna end up? And it was well, those conversations where Sage is just kind of playing along with the questions, you know, like I'm just here to, you know, maximize the reps and then Susan was like, All right guys, shut the recorders, like, so where am I getting traded? You know, like it was one of those, like, all right, we all know what's going on here, right? So, uh, two weeks or so before Favre actually comes back, right? It was about a week in camp, yep. And the story breaks
1: that Favre is not coming, which I think was you, and that was that broke that. And at that time, so to be clear, first two, week of August it was right. But right? two thousand nine was all he did. Call Brad and say. I'm not coming back. But that was to avoid training camp. Right. And In 2009, it was all a charade. But point being, on the
3: outside, we all looked at it as but 2010, well, this is, is going to play out the same way.
1: But two, well, that was the hubris of the Vikings to think that. In retrospect, now, having been told stories about that well after the fact. And in, to, in Brett's defense on this one, by 2010, he, he wanted to beat the Packers. And he did it twice. And so the 2010 thing was way more legit than we thought at that time, that he really wasn't going to come back. So he
3: says he's not coming back. And that was after Brad had called him. So the way that I've understood the story was by the time they make this mission down to Hattiesburg, which is about the third week of August, right? And I don't know for certain whether Brad said this or everybody knew but basically, Brad told Hutch and Longwell, "You guys need to go and get Favre." And the message, whether it was spoken or unspoken, was because he won't come back if I go.
1: Now, what I've also heard was there was a point where Brad's like, "I'm going," and they told him, "No, right, we'll go." And they took Jared as an aside because yes. they knew that Brett liked him. <laughs> but I, yeah, I bring, I, bring I, the fun guy with the mullet. I, I remember it always works in now. Since it's well past the fact, I remember one night when it was all sort of percolating because you always knew there was a chance Brett was going to come back. And I remember one night driving, I texted Longwell, who you know, and I said, "What's going on?" He said, "You can't tell anybody, but we are probably going down there." And he's like, That's this is the only way."
0: It's always good when you tell uh, a journalist. By the way, you can't tell anyone this huge well, story. Well, and in
1: 2010, I didn't. No, no. But he's like, "You can't. It can't come from me." And I'm like, "That's fine." But the fact was. This had become very convoluted, and by now, to, to what Tom's talking about, now there is a concern. He ain't coming back, right? And this was
3: the last ditch. Yes, we got to do it. So they they go into the house, and Favre was just kind of like, "What? Like, why are you guys here? Like, I'm not playing." And over the you got to cu- do the
1: voice if you're going to do the Favre. I'm not going to play. <laughs> I, I, Pro- <laughs> probably not. Uh, wh- why you
0: guys? Over fare? the
3: course of however many hours, they talk him into coming back. Like he was truly done he did not want to play now to brett's credit when he got there like he he tried to flip the switch i truly believe that seeing how he operated uh the you know the attitude and everything like he thought you know perhaps wrongly but he really thought i've still got this the problem was i believe it was 2 days later that sydney
1: opts to have surgery right, which i don't think he was ever i'm sure he was not told about he did not – you know, Brett's Brett. He doesn't follow football. He didn't know – he was very loose on he, details. He's not
0: watching Total Access every night. Yeah, he doesn't watch Pelicero's show. <laughs> no, I'm
1: serious. So so to what you're just saying, you're right. Uh, so he gets there, and he's like, okay, we could still do this. Where's 18? And 18's not there.
3: So then – and now this goes to the wide receiver timeline if we want to zip through this quickly.
0: Hold on. Let's get to the wide receiver timeline in a second. After we hear, I'm really excited s- about this. After we hear, s- sat on this for weeks. Steve Hutchinson's version of this story. Were you guys? You were on the plane ride going down there to, to pull him back in 2010, right? I was. I was. Yeah. What, what, what was the, that? The stealth, covert, the covert <laughs> mission. <laughs>
1: you you were doing specialty work in the practice shed, of co- according to your uh, special teams <laughs> coordinator Brian Murphy at the time, Hutch.
4: Yeah, I mean, you know, that's the one thing. I, I never did go back, and I mean, is there? Were there cameras there for that, or was it just kind of just audio on those those uh, post-practice press conferences?
1: I think there were cameras for that, if I'm I mean, not I gotta, mistaken. i got to look
4: back and see them at some point, because they, it was just like, apparently children didn't prep them at all. Correct. On, like, what to say, so they were just literally grasping at straw. I mean, it was like, yeah, we were, yes, you know, we were repaving 169 or something. I mean, it was <laughs> like, I mean, they could have come up with something. <laughs> better than that but you know it's funny like we we went down there and spent the night and it was some big covert deal I mean you know I mean Childress kind of called me in his office after practice and said hey what do you think uh you and I fly down and go get Brett and I said I got a better idea how about you stay here and send like Jared because Jared makes him laugh and Ryan Longwell because he loves Ryan they played they have had such a pass together and then I'll go too and we'll three of us you go okay so we go down there and you know the, the the pilot had a you know flight plan going into New Orleans that we were going to change mid flight so that anybody following Ziggy's tail number wouldn't see it. Flew to Hattiesburg, and I mean it was this big thing, and it worked. I mean we got down there, and when it started, I guess about the time you guys were figuring out we weren't at practice, uh, that's kind of when we were in the car ride back to the plane to get to to get into the plane to fly back to Minneapolis, and by the time obviously. There was the helicopter and in the whole um, the charade there, but I mean it was it was it was pretty fun. I mean it was funny. I mean, we were laughing the whole time. Like you know, I mean <laughs> it was it was what we got him back. I mean yeah, you did. But I we basically
0: kidnapped. Him. Basically, yeah, you put a, put a ski mask over well, his and, head. And...
1: And, and Steve, Steve, I didn't buy this at the time, but I have since been told that he really, really had reservations and/or didn't w- want to come back. Is that correct? Oh yeah, t- for 2010.
4: Yeah, he was. I think. I mean, I think he knew at that point. He, he I think he was ha- You know, he would have been fine saying no, I'm done, and then, you know, uh, uh, the, you know, and for whatever reason, you know, he, he maybe he just knew or, or whatever. But you know, we we were, you know, at that point too. You know, Jared and and, and Ryan and I were like. Cause we get there and we kind of now of course his whole family knew we were coming. He was the only one who did not know. So we get there at like, I don't know, it was like nine thirty, ten o'clock at night. By the time we get to his house, and it was like this big surprise thing. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not kidding when I say he was like, oh, it's so great to see you guys. Fifteen minutes later, where's Brett? He went to bed. <laughs> like, did, seriously, we're sitting in on the couch and we're, we're, Deanna's like, I think he went to bed. And we're like, oh, this is gonna be tough. Like we thought we were gonna walk in. and He was gonna be like, oh yeah, let's go, let's go. You know, win one for the Gipper. And no, so the next day was that we were talking and we were like, we, we started thinking, well, if he doesn't come back, people are going to, people are going to start finding out we were down here regardless. And then what does it look like, you know, for the organization and, and the confidence we have in the other quarter? I mean, it just, it was just, it was just going to be a you know, media circus that way. So I don't know. I mean, yeah, like you see, it was, it was, it was, that's true. I mean, he did not want to come back at first and then, Finally. And then when he did, he was you know, typical Brett Fashion, just like, you know, ah, all right, let's go. Yeah. I mean, like, like, you just talk the kid into, like, you know, throwing rocks off a bridge or something. I
0: mean, I mean nobody nobody could have predicted anything that happened that season, too. Like, think about all of the things yeah. from Randy Moss, yeah. Coach Fire, Dome Collapses, uh, TCF yeah. Bank Stadium. Yeah. Uh, a
4: Sunday night game on Tuesday in Philly. Yeah. Uh, a home game that was supposed to be a Sunday game turned into Monday night, a home game in Detroit against the Giants I mean you couldn't that I mean I don't know if there was a circus season I mean every 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 team has their little secrets and and, and what's done behind closed doors but I mean I don't, I don't know if you're going to find it more of a circus that than that year for us
1: hey Hutch it's a forgotten part but that was the same year and and ordinarily this would have been a huge story that's the same year that uh, that Percy had the migrants. he came back on the practice field in Eden Prairie and threw up and collapsed, and they had to bring an ambulance yeah. to get him. And and that and that was a that was a small part with all the things that went on that year. That became a very small addendum to that season. Oh yeah,
4: I mean, yeah, and that and then you you know you you mentioned Randy, and then Randy's like press conference after whatever whatever his last I can't remember if his last what his last game was with us,
1: but New England.
4: Where he, yeah, he just kind of ripped, you know the the you know childress and and you know basically talked about how he wanted to be back on Patriots team like mm-hmm. it was like just the if it was if you could
0: you could like just imagine it had happened all right before we get into key question number 2 any final thoughts on just the Brett Favre timeline and him coming back in 2010
1: one thing with Favre is when he came back when he came there after camp and despite the song and dance things in '09, that guy walked into Eden Prairie Winter Park at the time, bound and determined to shove it up everybody's, you know what, and that included the Packers, especially. I, I always thought, and mm-hmm. that game in, at Lambeau was unbelievable. I've, I've never felt a stadium naturally shake like that. It felt like it was going to take off, um, and they hated him. And by that time, he couldn't stand Ted Thompson and the Packers uh, and McCarthy. But what was so the juxtaposition that. Interested me so much in 2010 when he came back was he literally Tom was dragged back like he literally you know Longwell and Allen and Hutch he came back for them and they and and the story that I was told as you know Steve talked about was they sat on that couch and said don't worry about Brad come back for us and he did it but the guy that walked into Winter Park that day uh, in 2010 was a very different guy he sort of came back as a sympathetic okay if you need my help. I'll I'll help you.
0: And a million dollars a game doesn't... Well,
1: sure. But the guy that came back in 2009 was on a mission. And I can't tell you, Tom, if you recall that, the difference between those two personalities.
3: Well, and I had been there for Favre's final year in Green Bay, and I was on the Packers beat in 07, 08, 09. So I saw all sides of it. I spent a lot of time in Minneapolis in 09 because that was the biggest story in Green Bay, too, was Favre playing for the Vikings. Uh, All I know was... You saw Favre wanting to do it in 2010. That's what I mean by he, he tried to flip the switch. But from the start, you just felt like it was different. You know, it's one thing of you know, what he's saying at the podium. because I, I, I was at both introductory press conferences, too. Um, I, I think it was different, though, when you just saw what was happening on the field. And that really all started with the opener where the Vikings couldn't generate you know, a whole lot of offense. And then the Week 2 game is the one that stands out to me because that was against the Dolphins at home. And by the end of that game, you knew this is going straight to hell. Because <laughs> Favre uh, repeatedly in the red zone was throwing back-shoulder fades, which was the Sidney Rice specialty, right, Just go to the pylon, throw it up there, go get it. And he was throwing it to the guys they had then, basically being like, I can't do this. We don't have the players to do this. They lost that game at home, and even though they beat the Lions the next week before the bye, you just felt like this team is going to go anywhere. They have to get a receiver. And they had been trying already, but then that led to a move that... uh, I won't say it defined 2010 but it no. certainly was a memorable month in Vikings history.
0: So, key question number 2. When Randy Moss came back, what did you guys think in that moment? What did you guys think was going to happen? Revenge tour? If you had to put all your like in that moment, if you had to put all your chips on either revenge tour and Vikings bounce back or complete total disaster, which is what happened? Yep. I would have put my chips on revenge tour not thinking deep enough about, well, if Bill Belichick in the middle of a season is cutting bait on someone, I would have thought, Brett Favre, Randy Moss, they're going to get this thing together and we're going to see something magical and historic. So well, I, We did see something historic, I
1: guess. I know thing. you guys are going to be shocked by this, but when that when the news broke that that was coming down, I think it was a off day, I think it was a Tuesday, and I was out uh, at, at a bar and somebody tells me they're going to get Moss. I'm like, what? It happened on a day when the, the Twins team. were
0: hosting the Yankees in a playoff game game i believe at target
1: field anyway so the news comes down they get moss from the patriots which of course fans are ecstatic about because they love randy moss and he's coming back honestly um that to me is the day that it crossed over from is this going to be a circus to this is a circus and when it crossed over in my mind was the introductory press conference for moss and i'm not joking this is going to sound this might sound silly but when i knew that we were in for a gong show was Moss is in this press conference, and it's Moss at his best. And Randy Moss is a very smart guy. I mean, like, he could be a bleep hole, yeah. but he was a very smart guy. Yeah. And I remember there was a person, I want to say a woman from NFL Network. She's trying to ask a question about Moss's, what happened with Patriots or something. And he's like, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. And he cuts her off, and he's like, next question. And it was like an auction. So I'm like, this is really weird. Ziggy Wolf is in the back of the press conference, and this is when press conferences were held in the shed at, at Winter Park at the side of the practice field. So, very just I mean, odd. It's not
3: a shed, but.
1: Well, it was a practice shed. It's a, pra- <laughs> it's, it's a shed. shed. It's it was a, a shed. a large shed. It was John. a big, it's a field house. It's a big shed. It's a field house. Now, punch hit the ceiling, you guys. It was a joke. Anyway, <laughs> so when I knew this was a complete, when I knew this was off the rails, though, was, so Randy's literally whipping through the press conference, whipping question, question, question. And the last thing he says is, y'all lucky I wasn't on that boat because it would have been worse or something. And he st- walks out. And Ziggy, I look back at Ziggy and he's laughing. Now, I've never told this story before, but when that whole boat thing happened in, in 05, which was my first year on the Beat the Star Tribune with Seifert.
3: year after, or the same year, Moss got traded.
1: correct. Um, there was a moment when something happened. It was with the whole tight. Oh, the boat thing. I think it was. And I'm not kidding you guys. There was a moment where somebody told me they saw Ziggy so upset about the boat thing that he took a picture of Moss off the wall and threw it down. Like, he was livid. How could this happen? I'm going to run. And, you know, he has run a respectable organization here, a franchise that people will be proud of because he's a Giants fan. And as big a dumpster fire as the Giants are right now, you know, the Giants have a lot of pride, heritage. And so when Moss says this at that press conference five years after the fact and Ziggy's laughing, oh, that's funny you said that about the boat. I'm thinking to myself, that's not funny at all. That's he's basically warning you of what's coming to town. And that's when it crossed over to me to be, this is now going to become a gong show. And I didn't know how, and I would never have predicted what happened happened, but I went from being like, everything seems weird, to, oh, no, this isn't good.
3: So I was uh, on the beat, so to speak, with the Vikings in oh three oh four. 4 so final two seasons before he got traded to the Raiders. And when he came back from that press conference through the caterer thing through every you know the press conference that he did after the patriots game which i'm sure we'll talk more in depth about cuz it's
1: one of the highlights of Judd's life um oh, there are not many so it's good <laughs> the way, the way
3: that i described it at the time was this is like the frat brother who graduated 6 years ago who was like the alpha male in the frat and now is like coming back to party and it's just like over the top because Moss in 3 04, he ran that locker room. He had other guys like Kelly Campbell was kind of his right-hand man. But, like, it was Moss. He was loud. He was a big personality. Everybody answered to him. And that's the dynamic that they were trying to change when they traded him to the Raiders. They thought that just the leadership needed to change because he was he was the one, you know, that was – you know, everybody looked to for leadership. And Moss is so much smarter than everybody else. He's such a better player than everyone else. People couldn't get away with the stuff that Moss got away with because they're not as good as him or as smart as him. So when he came back, it was just like, here I am. Here we go. And it just was this fundamental shift in the locker room because nobody knew how to handle it. He was still the loudest guy in the room, but nobody played with him. It had been six years. Nobody
1: knew the guy. And to your point, the main pledge was Percy Harvin, which Mm -hmm. was a disaster. Because Percy was already teetering on, I don't think this guy can coach. And when he looked at Randy, and I think Randy backed up Percy and said, Kid, you're good. Brad can't coach. and. All hell broke loose then. With all the stuff that was because already, of that,
3: the, all the stuff that was already going going on with Percy that season, and he was on the team. Moss was on the team, and again, I, I might be wrong on the number. I believe it was twenty seven days. Moss was living in a hotel in Edina during those twenty seven days because he, you know, he obviously didn't have a house there or anything. When he got cut, there was one guy there helping him move out, and it was Percy Harvin. Yeah, they instantly. Forges that connection. And I always thought that Percy was an interesting, engaging guy. I infamously gave him the Corey Stringer Good Guy Award. Was he presenting person for that once?
1: Yeah, congratulations. Nice work.
3: But that, I mean, that was, you know, there were some dark moments there for, for Percy. And then it was after Moss got cut, of course, that there was an altercation that Judd and I have discussed before uh, involving Percy and Brad. Yeah. That was on the way to, was that the Friday before the Cardinals game, I believe? Yes. So a couple weeks after, uh, no, the week after
1: Moss got cut. Days after Moss got cut. Yeah, and, and Judd knows the story better than I do. And things have been, so to backtrack just a little bit to training camp, when Percy's grandma quote-unquote died, I mean, I think she died, I have no idea, um, Brad started to call him on a daily basis. And, he fl- and the reason why he didn't come back was he flipped out because Brad... And so he claimed migraines, which might have been true. I I don't know, but children supposedly started calling him every day. Are you coming back today? Are you coming back today? And he went nuts. And then so they get Randy and Randy and Randy and Percy. I'm I'm not sure what you thought of Percy, Tom. He always struck me as a pretty savvy football player. He might have been a very dumb, dumb guy. I have no idea if he could pass you got When
3: you got him talking football though, like he he knew, he
1: knew the game. Randy. Was, is one of the smartest football players, uh, as weird as Randy is, one of the smartest football players ever. Randy would, during open locker room, for the media, when most guys will go eat, everyone disappears, Randy would sit at his locker. And I remember walking in one day, and he had one of those sort of pencil sets in a plastic bag with plays written down on a play card, like a red pencil, a green pencil. And I remember walking into the Winter Park locker room, and he's sitting there with his cards. And he won't talk to the media, which is fine. But he's going through these plays like a coach would. Uh, and so it sort of popped with you, wow, this guy is incredibly football savvy, intelligent. Um, and so, long story short, what I was told after the fact as well is that Brett, Randy, and maybe Percy, but Brett and Randy would sit at the front of the offensive meeting room and make fun of what the coaches were saying, especially Childress.
0: Was, okay, here's a question for you guys. Because everyone, everyone puts the Randy Moss at the center of why this thing went off the rails and the locker room went awry and then if Brad Childress eventually got fired. How much was Brett Favre, not to blame him, by the way, Brett Favre had a magical 2009 season but obviously did not connect with Brad Childress and vice versa. How much was Brett Favre also to blame for Brad Childress getting fired halfway through that season in terms of this guy's a clown show, don't listen to him, mocking Brad Childress, et cetera.
1: just, Just quickly to go back to that question off of Randy, I was told that Spielman definitely went to Brad when the Vincent Jackson thing fell through, and he had a chance to get Randy Moss from Belichick. And Rick said to Brad, can you handle him? And Brad said, absolutely, I can. And Brad was 1,000% wrong. So, yes, Brad is probably ultimately, I wouldn't say to blame, but he can, he he can shoulder some of the blame. But when a coach tells you I can handle Randy Moss, which if Brad was being honest, he would have said, uh, no, 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 that, that ain't going to work.
3: Well, and Brad told me years later his biggest regret in his entire time in Minnesota was not telling the Wolves he was cutting Randy.
1: Well, and that's a whole. That's another great. They story.
3: cut him without telling ownership. Less than a month after making a season-defining, franchise-defining type of move,
1: and the owner Brad, laughing about the boat.
3: <laughs> Brad famously described it as a programmatic non-fit <laughs> in right. the press conference
1: after. Well, uh, can we talk about that press conference? That's one of my favorite press con- that that next to the Randy press conference in New England the day before that well well in that one that Monday press conference was one of the most outstanding press conferences ever. The uh,
3: let me just run through the receiver timeline real quick just to sorry, substantiate yeah. okay the um why why this all transpired because this is this is months in the making it's Sydney not having the surgery August 10th they sign a guy named Freddie Brown. They can bring in just another body, trying to get somebody else in the mix. That doesn't work out. August 24th, which is right after you realize Sydney's going to have surgery, uh, they signed Javon Walker, That's right, the former Packer.
1: Who was Sidney Rice too far before Sidney Rice. Correct. Because I covered the year that you, he made Javon Walker. Right. Same problems, too. Injured all the time.
3: So that didn't work. Uh, two days later, they trade Benny Sapp for Greg Camarillo little slot receiver from Miami, who was a fine player, but just not at all comparable to what Rice is. And
1: Benny Sapp had been a pretty instrumental part of the nickel in 2009.
3: Uh, Five days later, Rice goes on reserve pup. Then the Vincent Jackson trade falls through late September. Mm -hmm. And then October 7th is the Moss trade. So they were constantly trying to... Fill that void. Moss makes his debut against the Jets. Very first play is a wide receiver pass with Moss that is an illegal formation because he completes it to Favre, who is not aligned in a position where he could catch it. That kind of set the stage for everything.
1: In a game that was delayed by lightning, if you remember.
3: For like an hour and a half. set the week where it was the... uh, I don't know how I can best describe this, and something will be air on the radio. But pictures allegedly of Favre and Little Favre had emerged. I forgot about you know
1: that's a whole other
3: that's another topic. That's all going on that week. The tabloid writers from New York are in Minnesota to ask
1: Favre about it. Deadspin held on to the pictures. Deadspin broke the story, knowing full well that Favre was going to come to New York. We were all like at that time. Well, it's Deadspin. Who cares? So we were all, and I guess this is an indictment of us in the local media, ready to just be like, whatever, this Jen Sturger, we don't know who she is. Um, The Yankees are in town. Tom's right. The tabloids, the Post and Daily News come out, and they start to question him. And then we're like, well, we can't ignore this now. And that was a whole nother thing. And then I found out in retrospect off that one, you know, that Brett was sort of persona non grata at home for a while after that. So, if nothing else, all hell's breaking loose on his home front because he had that place in Eden Prairie right near the practice facility. Mm-hmm. Um, but, the you know, back to the Moss thing. So, the Moss thing was he plays three games or four games? I think it might have been four. four. I think it was four. Okay, yeah. gets to the fourth game.
3: But like Okay, so they lose to the Jets. They lose that game to the Jets in New York. It's like 1 a.m. Favre's doing the press conference where he's – gesturing with his wedding ring hand to just nonstop questions about the dead spin stuff and the pictures and all that stuff. Following week, they beat the Cowboys. So you're thinking, all right, this is now the point in the season where it's going to go one way or the other, two and three, still got everything ahead of them, whole bunch of division games, haven't played the Packers yet. They go to Lambeau and lose that game. It's a mm-hmm. close game. Mm-hmm. If I remember. Uh,
1: Moss alligator arms a ball in the back of the is, end zone, which no. is where, which is where Far, we are. gave him a chance in that game. There was also. That's qu- what I mean
3: when Favre, he's trying to flip the switch right. still. Right. Well,
0: Shanko she- caught a pass that probably would have been ruled a touchdown today based on he, oh, he the, trapped the ball yes, in the end zone the and,
3: f- and Childress in the press conference after the game goes uh, yes 50 drunks in a bar all 50 are going to
1: say that's a catch, that's a catch. <laughs> and in fact I believe that Childress got fined the next day because he came out and said the league called him and apologized mm-hmm. the league said we were wrong but the but the play of that game that I will always remember is Moss alligator arm the ball in the back of the end zone and at that point you said he's not worth this is he See, that was the key. Because the day of the press conference, he came back. We all assumed it's Randy. Randy's back, right? Well, you are watching the shell of a player, and he's like, "Up, arm up, arm down, whoa!" And as far as physical attributes go, now we're onto a path where this guy's not. This guy's too big a pain in the ass to be worth what. Because what made Randy so great was Randy was a pain in the butt from day one. Yeah, but talent caught, to baggage ratio exactly. I mean, it's, 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 and talent, it's talent to exactly. baggage ratio never fails. So now, so sports. now we got a problem. Mm-hmm. So
3: okay, so now we're three games into the Moss era. They just lost to the Packers, which is everything to Favre, where he had played his ass off. He comes back, and I said to Google this to make sure I'm remembering the timeline correctly. Favre shows up at his press conference the following Wednesday in a walking boot, yes. like up to his knee. Yes. Yeah. He's, like, hobbling to the podium. You're going, there's no way this guy's going to play. Like, this This is it. They got the Patriots that week. It's the big game for Moss. The streak's Moss done. is not talking to the media. He gets fined that week because Judd turned him into the well, NFL. I
1: also got a Boston. the <laughs> Boston Herald sent a reporter to Minneapolis. Moss is talking to her. So I go over, and I'm like, oh, so we're talking. <laughs> he shuts it down. Did you say that out loud? She, confront- she confronts me, walking out of the locker room, and says, "Since That's when do you break up? With and- Since when do you break up one on ones?" And I said, "Since I'm trying to get this guy fined for not talking to the local media. <laughs> In essence, I don't care about you and your Boston attitude. Wow,
0: look at you picking fights.
1: Take
3: that." She also that week uh, scared off Favre, who was who had established a weekly routine. He would talk to everybody on the beat. Uh, right. on, like, Thursdays at his locker, I just forgot about BS, that. and, like, actually tell us stuff about the game, how he was feeling and stuff like that. She, like, makes a beeline for him, like, is trying to, like, ask him, so are you playing? And he, like, looks at her and just goes into the training room. We never saw him again. Never did it again. So by Friday, he's out of the boot and claiming he might play. Not going to play? Maybe.
1: Oh, it gets better. It keeps going. It, seriously, This is there's things I didn't <laughs> remember that I'm remembering now.
3: So he, he starts the game against the Patriots. And then sometime, I don't remember exactly when it was, he takes a hit up under his like his chin area. He's bleeding profusely. The, the press box in Foxborough is in one of the end zones. And he's getting taken out on a cart flat on his back with, like, a towel being held to his chin and being driven to the locker room. This is the most durable quarterback in NFL history. He, he still had missed a start at that point. The start streak was alive, 270-odd games, whatever it was. And we're watching him, like, just getting, like, beat up. It's just like, you know, the heavyweight boxer at the end, it's just like, this is not okay now. Do you remember
1: it turned out, And as I recall, he was legitimately afraid of blood. So he's bleeding, and he's like, oh, my God, I'm bleeding. He must not have bled much during his life because he was legitimately said, I was afraid of blood. And so he freaked out because he was bleeding. We're like a hockey player. If that had been a hockey puck, they would have been like, stitch me up, I'll go back out. Yeah,
3: so (laughs) like my teeth. He freaked out. So that day, uh, the Patriots game plan, which they've used on other receivers, but basically they had a corner on, on Moss, and then they played a safety over the top. Yes. The whole game. Just basically they wanted to turn Randy into a ticking time bomb so he would explode and just ruin everything. Just double team him. Let anyone else beat you, not boss.
1: But the interesting thing about that was Belichick ordinarily would do that to really good receivers. Randy had to, by this point, the Green Bay thing to me spoke volumes about the fact that he wasn't the same player. So Belichick almost did it to just bleep with him. Like instead of being no, like No, he wanted he wanted to yeah. make him explode. Yeah. He
3: wanted to cause a problem that would just ruin everything like on the Viking sideline. Mm-hmm. Moss had one catch for eight yards in that game. He coasted the podium in Foxborough. Oh, wait, wait,
1: wait, wait. No, 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 no. So the story uh, is right. What happened oh, before, right. which you've reported. So so Scoggins, so I'm in the meet... <laughs> The media room for the visitors, which is supposed to be Brad and Brett probably, and Chip, who was on a beat with me at the Star Tribune, is in the locker room. So the guys who are in the locker room are all in front of Moss's locker. Sometimes he would talk, sometimes he wouldn't. But if he was going to talk, you had to be there. Oh,
3: that's right. No, yeah. yeah.
1: And so Randy, <laughs> Randy gets to. His I thought lo- you were
3: hold on. He, what he did on the way into the locker room is what I thought you were. Oh, oh say.
1: I'll explain that too. No. <laughs> That's another story. <laughs> There's
3: so many things okay, in this one okay. day well, that happened.
1: Do you want me to tell you this? What Scoggins saw? Just do it chronologically. De- debunk- debunk- okay. I was there same part. Do okay. it chronologically. Okay. I want all of
0: the. This is okay. this is amaz- This is football cocaine. Right. I will now. I debunk. Want all of- okay. He
1: wanted. He's walking to the locker room. Start. God there. bless Gus Tanucci. But that whole story is the biggest bunch of BS ever. Number one, it did happen. That's right. At that Winter was also Park, that week. At at. <laughs> I that week, uh, By the way, you know, 1500 ESPN. It was the Friday. Feast.
0: We got an amazing live broadcast out of that at Tanucci's where people turned that in their great. moss jerseys at the front door to get like this. OK, so through.
3: now so now we've rewound to okay, Friday. So Friday, Friday. Friday. That week. So here, here's the timeline, just in case we've now lost you because we're we're going off the top of our heads. Wednesday, Farvin boot. Uh, f- Thursday to Friday. Uh, I believe it was Thursday Moss gets fined twenty five grand for not talking to the media, which he was supposed to. Friday far out of boot.
1: Okay, locker room doors open. Okay, Friday no general media access to any player in the at the podium. So most relaxed day of the week. It's a great day if you're a beat guy. It's a great day because you're done with most stuff and you can actually have casual conversations. But before you get into that locker room, they at that time. To be clear, it's Winter Park, so this is the prehistoric days. Feed the players in the locker room. So.
3: Like a buffet set up in front in of a bunch locker. of the locker Catered,
1: catered by different people that they would bring in. Tanucci sometimes, Popeye sometimes. And if it, they got hot, they wouldn't change the caterer. Yes, and served the same thing. The caterer was out. So this Friday before the Patriots game, it's Tanucci's. So. They get into the locker room and guy, you know, guys are excited and they get there and they get their plate of food and go to the locker and they eat and then we come in. But right before we come in, Randy walks in and sees the Tanuchis and says, and that's the famous line where he looks at the spread and says, "I wouldn't feed this stuff to my dog," which is probably partially in his mind accurate because I think he did love his his dog. Because to go back, I'm going to go back way back from then. That was the whole my. Former Trek colleague Kent Youngblood, one day when he was on the Viking beat way before I was, saw Randy playing with his dog at Winter Park and said, "Randy, that's really awesome. What's the name of your dog?" And Randy said to Kent, "Nunya." And Kent said, well, "I'm sorry, Randy. What?" <laughs> and he said, "It's none of your business, yeah, Nunya." Yeah. <laughs> so he probably did have a dog he loved very much, and he decided on that Friday that he wouldn't have fed Nunya that food.
3: So we. We saw the tail end of that because the locker room door is open and Randy's just like yelling about the caterer and all this stuff. But like, what you have to understand, because Mike Silver, my current colleague, is the one who wrote that story after the fact. And what you had to understand was like it didn't stick out because Randy was just doing that stuff every day. Every day you'd walk in and he's yelling some stuff. And it was just like it didn't even register. That that's not why the guy got cut. It's because now, okay, so from Friday
1: to Saturday to Sunday, he walks into the locker room and says to the owners Okay, so the whole thing with the Wilfs is the Wilfs always bring some of their friends into the locker room. At the end of the games, they're standing where the players come in. You know, come watch my come watch the players. So this is the whole thing, as Tom said. He's caught one pass for eight yards. Belichick has schooled Brad it's been a complete joke for the
0: second time in 5 years.
1: And so, Randy and I kid you not, Fahutahi are the first two into the locker room off the field. And Randy looks at Ziggy and all of these people, Ziggy's friends, right? So they these are his buddies. And Randy says, "Y'all better get yourself a new bleeping coach cuz this one can't bleeping coach at all." And that gets back to Brad. And that's the first thing. And the Wilfs, of course, Ziggy, I, I don't know how impressionable he is now, but in 2010 he was very impressionable. And this is, oh, my God, I can't believe I just heard that. And more importantly, somebody immediately tells Brad that, and now we get to the locker room.
3: So Moss goes to the locker room, or to his locker in Foxborough, which is like, if I remember correctly, because I, I, mean, I was standing right there. It was me, Chip, there were a couple other people, and it's like, He's in toward a corner of, like, the relatively cramped uh, locker space at Gillette Stadium. And he's, like, getting changed. And he says, like, you know, something along the lines of, like, y'all, you know, want to stand there and watch a bunch of grown men get dressed? It's like, okay, you know, whatever. And then Tom West, v- longtime Vikings PR guy, is standing there, too. And he was kind of Randy's guy. And Randy goes, Tom, I'm going to the podium. And (laughs) West is one of the great poker faces of all time. But you could just see, like, his eyes just go kind of, huh? (laughs)
2: Look, I got fined $25,000 for not talking to you all. And uh, me personally, I really don't care. But at the same time, I do do ask questions. I mean, answer questions throughout the week. But for the league to find me $25,000, I'm not going to answer any more questions for the rest of this year. If it's going to be an interview, I'm going to conduct it. So I'll answer my own questions, ask myself the questions, then give y'all the answers. So from here on out, I'm not answering any more questions for the rest of this season. And uh, enough said of that. Now we get to the game. Um, I know how hard these guys work here in New England. And the only thing that I really try to do is take what the best coach in football history has has brought upon me or the knowledge that he's given me about the game of football. And I tried to just sprinkle it off you know, to the guys the best way I know how. Um, so, you know, I'm going to go ahead and end this this interview. You know, I have my family to see. Um, definitely down that we lost this game because I didn't really expect for us to lose this game knowing that, you know, we had a few things that we had to clean up. But like I said, they played a good game. I wish we could have had that three at the end of the half. Uh, maybe it could have been different. Maybe not. But, you know, with... I don't know how many more times I'm going to be up here in New England, but I'm going to leave the New England Patriots, Coach Belichick, man, with a salute, man. I love you guys. I miss you. I'm out.
3: And the last thing you see, Moss walks off. Judd from his front row seat pops up, steps in to grab his recorder off the podium, turns back to the room and goes, this is awesome. (laughs) That (laughs) was the last Judd's crowning moment. The next day, uh... I believe Mike Lombardi, who was working for NFL Network at the time, breaks the news they've cut well, Moss. Let's back up, though. Yeah.
1: So the press conference the next day. Okay. So we're in Winter Park. Brad comes to the podium. He has cut Moss. We don't know it. Nobody, well, nobody in that room knows it. To his, don't know it. So Brad goes on and on about Randy, and it got very cryptic. And to his credit. So he didn't fly back with the team. He yeah, stayed behind stayed with family. And to his credit, a guy who as a beat guy was fantastic, Bob Sansphere. ages ago, but he was fantastic. Bob finally looks at Brad and says, did you cut him? Like he had the sense, which, which is a hell of a sense to have. I give Bob a lot of credit. And he's like, no, we haven't cut him, blah, blah, blah. And so we're all like, okay, this is really weird. But Bob was the one who sensed that something had gone off the tracks, off the rails. And I remember getting back to the press room, and I got a call, It might have been from NFL network or somebody, and they said, Michael Lombardi is reporting he's been cut. And you tweeted it. I remember. And so, so we then have locker room access, but it's a Monday. So no one's going to be in the locker room except for poor Ben Ben Lieber, Lieber. (laughs) who was handing out, who was putting at NFL PA flyers on his teammates. So Ben's a good guy. We got him and we're like, what happened? He's like, Or we said, has he been cut? And he said, yeah, he's been cut. But what's most hysterical about that whole thing is Ben Lieber got reamed by Childress for acknowledging what Brad lied about.
0: Yeah, what's the advantage of lying in that spot if you're Brad
1: Childress? Because he hadn't told ownership. Right. That he couldn't. But for Ben to ream Ben out was the most ridiculous thing of all time. I just
3: remember Ben as Locker just, he was answering for everybody because of the timing of it it broke right after Childress's press conference yeah i mean actually here's here's why i want to i want to reset this with another key
0: question here if we take away the 2010 season which i know is a is a huge if elephant in the room we can't just take it away but if we took away the 2010 season and we just evaluated Brad Childress as a head coach based on his four full years between 2006 and 2009 we're talking about a 36 and 28 record, two division wins, a trip to the NFC championship game. What would the prev- what would the prevailing thought have been if if Brad Childress did not coach the 2010 season if we wiped it away? What would the thought have been about because I think right now you pull Vikings fans and Brad Childress's name scoffing at a minimum, I think among Vikings fans, he's just become kind of a punchline. What if you take away the 2010 season?
1: Oh, Okay, this is a layered question, though, because it's not as simple, well, he would have been a great coach or he would have been a terrible coach. Um, part of it depended on, because I covered Brad for that entire time period, and part of it would have depended on the time period. Uh, I felt Brad wasn't very comfortable as a coach when he got here. I thought he developed into a guy who became a better coach. But I guess, Phil, where – I sort of get stuck on that question, too, is the most important game of Brad's career, which was the 2009 conference title game, because the conference title game became such a mess because in some ways you outplayed the Saints so badly.
0: In in almost every way.
1: Well, the statistically, I, I've always said that for me, in my time covering sports, if you take that game book and don't show me the final score and just plop the game book in front of me, I'd be like, oh, the Vikings won by 15 points. Yeah. Um, But I know for a fact, people I've talked to, that the Vikings sort of lost control. Brad lost control of the sideline. You know, how do you have 12 men in the huddle? It's damn near impossible. And yet they achieved it coming out of a timeout. Uh, So I think I don't know that I have a great answer for your question other than the Brad Brad Childers' time, if you take away 2010, is still very complicated. Because, I, you know, and after the fact, I've been told, and I believe this, that Brad was a really good evaluator of talent. Yes. That he did a hell of a job evaluating talent. So, you know, to scoff at him and be like, he wasn't a good coach. No, that's not true. But then again, when it was most important to have calm against the Saints in the Superdome, chaotic scene, but you got far of a quarterback, all hell broke loose. So, Tom, I'm not sure what your response would be, but mine is, it's a very complicated scenario and I don't think that you would scoff or laugh at Brad at all. Brad brought a lot of things. His ability to evaluate his roster was really good. And keep in mind too, you know, they passed from the unfortunate hiring of Fran Foley to Rick Spielman, but Rick was ve- Brad was the de facto GM. Brad had the hammer. Yeah. So this was not this was not well Rick and Brad, this was Rick helped. Brad ran that team and did some really good things.
3: Rick didn't have really full control till 2012.
1: Correct. But my point with Brad is I don't think it's a simple answer, and it's certainly not one that would lead me to scoff at Brad, but it's also not one that would say it was completely successful because that team, let's be honest, should have been in Miami playing in that Super Bowl. Well,
3: I mean, if you ask people, too, the story of what happened on – in 12 men in the huddle, since everybody's talking about that. What really happened was you had two assistant coaches who were responsible for getting the correct personnel on the field who were, from what I've been told, busy celebrating the imminent win.
1: And but didn't you hear, too, that Brad – I was told from that game uh, when it got to crunch time that Brad was basically bellowing orders and didn't really – nobody really had control, which became a problem, too.
3: All I know was there. Are, you know, they had multiple versions of that personnel. Whether they were in the tiger personnel, the two tights, where they had the fullback on the field, and the two assistant coaches who were responsible for communicating that those personnel groups were like high-fiving each other and hugging each other on the sideline, and didn't realize it. So, Brad, who I think a lot of, I mean, you know, just just knowing him personally, and I've gotten to know him even more over the, you know, in recent years. Um, you know, and he, he he won a lot of games. I mean, you you can certainly look at, you know, the Travis Jackson pick, which was that was two thousand six. You draft a quarterback out of Alabama State, Alabama A and M, what was Last it? Last pick of the second round, too.
1: Right. I mean it was a I high pick
3: and that was kind of that was the guy and going through, you know, Brooks Bollinger and everybody else that they started in those early days. Um but you know, they they won a lot of games. They got better from year to year. And I had one of Brad's um, assistants on the 0-9 team, you know, '09 and '10 team. Tell me later, Brad didn't get fired because of football. Great evaluator, great coach. He got fired because he changed personally, because he would go zero to sixty on people. Because there well, was a... Uh... That's an interesting
1: point, too, because when Brad... Okay, so Brad got hired. So Tice, the perception of Tice in 2005 was Mike Tice is allowing the media in the building. They're walking around the building. They're doing what they want. Brad gets hired, and he's Andy's guy in Philadelphia, but he's the offensive coordinator who doesn't call plays. So Brad gets hired, and Brad decides to crack down. So he's going to be Belichick. I remember Tice... i talking to Tice after 2005, and he's telling me about his assistants being fired, just because it's a good story for me, for the Star Tribune. So I call. I had Brad's cell phone, so I called Brad in Philadelphia, who's flown back home, and Brad's like, you're calling me at home or something? I said, yeah, I have to. You're firing people. And he's like, we'll take care of this when I get back. And I'm in the media. I don't care, Brad. So this is the Brad who's going to be Belichick. He's going to be a hard ass. Um, I was told that after 2006, and don't forget, I believe in 2006, Pat Williams, who was a favorite of players, is put on the pup because he's overweight and God bless him for that. He's a big guy that shows up fat. Okay, <laughs> big deal. Brad puts him on the pup. He's going to discipline Pat. Players are like, what are you doing? Players hated it. 2000, I was told during the 2006 to 2007 offseason, Phil, that Brad hung out with Dungey. Seriously, hung out with Dungey. Dungey's like, oh, no, here's what you should do. So 2007, I remember training camp. All of a sudden, Brad's like running drills with players. It's great fun. He's going to be Dungy. And that guy, I thought, lasted through 2009. And players could tolerate that. They didn't mind that. And it worked. And then 2010 takes a hard turn back to I'm going to be a hard ass again. So I don't think Brad, I think Brad could evaluate talent. I think he really knew football. I don't think he ever knew, to what Tom's saying, who he wanted to be. And for a head coach, that's a problem. Andy Reid knows exactly who Andy Reid is, right? Like, you never look at Reid and be like, I think he's confused. Um, Belichick. You never look at Belichick Unless and be it's like. it's
0: the two-minute drill, but that's the easy, okay. easy there and I there. And I, but as
1: far as who yeah. he is as a human, <laughs> Belichick. You don't look at him and be like, I think Bill's a little bit mixed up today about who he is. And so I think that's where Brad... Same with
3: Steve Belichick, by the way.
1: <laughs> Steve Belichick's the greatest. But
3: I think that's... Steve is, Steve's a character now. I've taught Steve at, you know, Super Bowl, plays and <laughs> stuff you? like that. Did you? Um, you know, two years ago when they were here. And um, I was mostly covered in the Eagles that year. But, like, I would still show up to the Patriots' availabilities because, like, Josh McDaniels was about to be potentially the Colts' head oh, coach. Oh, that's right. Again, you know, there were a lot of storylines. And, like, one day... And so at at Super Bowl Media Days, they're so massive. And, like, everybody sees Media Night, right, which is now Monday night. It used to be Media Day. Now it's Monday night. Well, there's still more availabilities. Tuesday, there's, like, a podium thing with, like, ten guys. Wednesday, Thursday, it's everyone in the organization. They're all there. And the media has kind of lost interest at that point. So you've just got people sitting there alone. And so one day it was Steve Belichick. I'm just, like, you know, looking around, I'm like, well, Steve's sitting there. So I just, like, went over there and talked to him about Bill for 10 minutes, and he was you know, really interesting. I mean, he's he's his dad. He's different, you know, a little different guy, but, like, there's a lot of the, the same thing. But, yeah, he's uh, he's an interesting character. Yeah. So that was, that was the same Super Bowl week where Sean Jeffrey uh, more or less guaranteed a Super Bowl win while I was sitting there. Was that the one here? With one other guy, and I was just like. Was that the one here?
1: Yeah. When when Mackey and I were on Radio roll. That whole week, and we saw Alex Smith, and we were trying to sell the Vikings. But then he got traded during that week.
3: Yeah, that was not a great To the night. Chiefs. Her
0: Cousins in line at the uh, Steak Shack. Steak Shack. Yeah. it was a entertaining week.
3: Um, Did you guys see the fight that year? Wow.
0: Now that we've debated on this. Okay. Yeah. We were I'll at the table next it. to where it started. <laughs> it.
1: We were the ringside <laughs> commentators. It was, for it. It
0: was, it was Josh Ennis going over to... Uh, was it Six Pain? Seth 10 Payne, in, right? It, Seth yes. Payne, yep. Yes. And uh, Mike Meltzer. And so we're sitting there prepping for our show.
1: Josh was right, literally right by us and walked by us. Yeah. He and had to walk by us to get to Josh
0: it. Josh issue, by the way, is famous for uh, spending a year and a half in a market, go full WWE, WCW on a market, and uh, flame out and go find a Don't be surprised if tomorrow. he's at Score North yeah. soon. <laughs> in fact, yeah, yeah. Josh, call me. No. But <laughs> um, no, seriously. Final final key question for you guys. And i it, it was originally going to be something about the Metrodome roof collapsing, but I just... i, I there's we so, haven't even, We're not even to November yet. No, this is crazy. We're wrapping yeah, we're, this
1: up. Where should we be going?
3: So here's my... Here's well, I mean, I don't want to... I just want to say, the week after... You still haven't said the story. The week after the Patriots game, they cut Moss, and then on that Friday, Percy...
1: Oh, God, the whole barbell thing. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so if, if audible, we have time. Audible, No, let's do it. If we have it, red eighty, red eighty, blue tiger. Um so on that next week so as Tom said earlier in tonight's podcast or today's podcast, um <laughs>
0: we've been here a while. We've been here a while, yeah. We haven't slept in yes.
1: forty hours just um, telling
0: two thousand ten Viking stories.
1: <laughs> so Percy had helped Randy pack up. Right. Like went to Randy's place, the only guy, but they now they're thick as thieves. So, Percy's all in on Randy. And, you know, you really can't blame him because Randy, although his skills had declined, was a hero. Um, so, now we get to the barbell incident. And it is a situation where Brad and Percy, what, he kicked him out of practice? He was, I, he thought, I don't remember he, what he led up thought he was dogging it in practice.
3: And Percy, that was the year that Percy just had a bunch of, you know, we talked. We like, Glossed over the whole got taken away in an ambulance thing. But there were always different injury issues, migraine issues, whatever. You didn't know if he was actually going to show up you know, on a Wednesday or whatever. But that day in practice, and one game, I remember which one it was, but Percy was running pregame laps, like dragging his leg behind him. And I tweeted something like, Percy looks like he's, you know, he, he doesn't look like a guy who can play today. And then Percy went out and had, like, 200 yards at a ridiculous game. And I just got torched by fantasy football morons. And, you know, rightfully so in, in that particular case. But Brad, that day at practice, was like you're you know, you're know, slacking, like you're, you're dogging it here. Threw him out of practice okay. for, like, basically playing up his injury. And we were watching. Like, he was – every day he was going out there and it was really, like, this shuffle –
1: you know, but he, he accused him of dogging it, and he didn't want to practice, and so Brad wouldn't just accept that. So anyway, um, he kicks him out of practice. They get in a confrontation post practice, and this is and the weight room is directly at this time at Winter Park connected attached. to the field house. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's a cheap weight room, the shed, but yeah, yeah, it's a shed. <laughs> There's a, a cheap weight room. It's the shed. There's a door. So Brad and Percy get in a shouting match, and and this is you know, and keep in mind too, this now goes back to training camp with Brad hounding Percy, are you coming back to practice? Percy being like, bleep off, I'm not coming back, blah, blah, blah. So at some point in time, in this weight room, Percy picks up a uh, weight, and he, you know, strong enough to, takes the weight and throws it at Brad. And at the last second, somebody closes the door, and it hits the door, not Brad, thank God. And so now, and the problem by now is he's cut Moss. So, like, he can't keep... Or you can't keep like suspending or cutting players. You're you're now at your wits' end. And in the big picture of things, it's a small thing, but it just goes on to adding on to, and I think Tom would, would agree with me on this, now you're adding on to, my God, this has gone from, could it be a gong show, to it's a gong show, to it's now crossed something where, uh, I'm not sure about you, I've never come close since. I mean, I never came close before. There was... Now we know... And we know everything. Like, everything's gotten out. Which in football, I don't think it necessarily does. Well, and I think
3: that... That was a credit to you in particular, Judd. And not to turn this into, you know, love time here. But you and Chip were doing an excellent job of having... Being able to report the blow-by-blow. I was in the first year on the beat. I was trying to do my part. But... I mean, a lot of stuff did come out and it was on like a weekly basis. Like when that Percy thing happened, you guys had it that night on that Friday night, which was not great because we were not working together. So then I had to deal with that. (laughs) But it was, yeah, it was just, there was so much going on. And so, and Phil, I've already forgotten what your last question is going to be. So stop me if I'm going to step on it. it. I'll, I'll fire it out in a second. But, and I'm looking at the Viking schedule right here and cheating a bit, but. So somehow they win that game with Percy, I think, inactive after the thing with Childress. Uh, then they lose to the Bears the following week in Chicago. And then it's the final Favre-Packers game. And the
1: Vikings-Cardinals game, I remember being on the sideline for that game after the Percy thing in the Metrodome. Because that's back in the day where they didn't care if you went down the sideline. And pre-game. I, pre-game. And I remember, oh, yeah, and I remember right. looking at Longwell and the long snapper, Clint Luffler, and I'm like... So just another week in paradise, boys. And they're laughing. Like, everybody knows. Everybody's in on the joke <laughs> by this point. Longwell's like, yeah, what are you going to do? And so, like, this has crossed. At this point now, we've crossed a threshold. Right. I, I don't think you'll cross it again. I certainly know I won't. Um, now you're at a point where I was what? That was So that's 2010. I was 40-ish. But, I mean, now it's comical. Now it's, now it's people are laughing. Players are laughing with you. Think about that for a second. Um, and we're all in this and saying, oh, my God. But I remember being on the sideline. That, I remember that game because the Vikings come back and win that game. And literally P, the players are like, what are you going to do? And so now you've gone from NFC championship game in that January, really right. good team, to whoa. And even
3: going into that, the last Packers game at that point, the Vikings are three and six, right? That is the last gasp, and it's we've seen Favre play to an unbelievable degree. The two games in nine. you talk about the Lambeau game. I remember the Metrodome game, which was like week five or so. It was Monday Night Football day before
1: one sixty-three, mm-hmm.
3: and that's the loudest I've ever heard a stadium. Louder than the Superdome, which is the, the loudest stadium that I've ever been in, just on a regular basis. And then watching the and Doug the dog has now walked in and oh, here uh, you chain. Know
1: what? Let dog Doug, get Dougie. out of here. I'll let Dougie run around. Come on, Ugh. come
3: on, Dougie. Um,
1: come here, come here, boy.
3: So and I remember watching the you know the the TV copy after that game, and it it looked like you know the Coliseum. I mean, the purple jerseys behind Favre, and he's celebrating. It was it was just cool to watch and then 2010 the first game at Lambo he's still doing everything he can and they lose and you just feel like how much does he have left and then that game at the Metrodome not that that was all on far, but it was a disaster it was 31 to 3
1: oh yeah and well and, and just quickly if Childress loses the Cardinals game he's fired then right so his fate is sealed.
3: Right. So he buys himself time. They lose to Chicago. Then they go into the Packers game. They're non-competitive. And I remember uh, watching the tape back at my old apartment in Minneapolis and realizing the next day because I always did those extensive film reviews for fifteen hundred. Uh, and on like the I believe it was the next to last play and counting, because i always chart who's on the field, and realizing the next-to-last play in that game, the Vikings had 10 men on the field on offense. <laughs> I'm not sure there's any other occasion that that has happened oh, in recent that. NFL history, and I had to watch it five, six times. Because Favre, at that point, has to look around, realize there's not enough people, and say, screw it. And he basically dropped Took a seven-step drop and threw the ball fifty yards out of bounds, and I remember I included that the next day. And like I, got, I was getting texts from people being like, "Like, are you sure?" I'm like, "A hundred percent." Ten guys on the field, and that just showed, you know, everyone knew it was over, including Brett. So then the, the you know kind of the soliloquy to that, and what set the stage for the next three years was they fire Brad. The next day, they install Leslie Frazier, who everybody, I think, in the organization, particularly ownership, believed should get another chance. Or should get a chance to be a head coach, rather, at that time. He was kind of the, the coach in waiting if they ever made a move. Um, and they, they win. They beat the Redskins. Yep. They beat the Bills. That was
1: McNabb's Redskins.
3: You know, they lose to the – that's right. Before they acquired McNabb, the following yep. year, which, which Leslie, Leslie wanted, pushed for, which Leslie had, to have, which yeah.
1: was, that's another yeah, that's another From the that's day that podcast. we saw
3: him come out and vomit on his way onto the practice field, which is
1: rarity. Hey Burger King, I'm coming. I think his first uh, press conference is <laughs> Taco all Bell. The, we're all coming. Fast food place. <laughs> oh, oh man, that
3: was a, <laughs> that was a press conference for the ages. But anyway, yes, um, you're correct. It's but then the, then they have the game where the roof collapses. Uh on the morning of, I'm Can we go? At,
1: can we go back to that one for a second? Can we yeah. stop there? So, all right. So I the game. So they play the Bills. I'm Tom's got the schedule. The game's supposed
3: up. to be December twelfth.
1: Okay, so December eleventh at the Metrodome. So December eleventh, I go to uh, Don and I drive through the snowstorm and go to the golfer. Golfer basketballs playing somebody crappy, but you know it's Williams. So we go, and uh, it's obviously a huge snowstorm, and so that night i'm texting with somebody and they're like i'm they like we're hearing there's water gushing in the metrodome and i was like well i checked with somebody they said oh i checked with the team i think it was lester bagley he's like yeah there's a leak it's fine and i checked with a source and they're like oh no we, we we hear the roof is gushing so i'm like okay who am i gonna believe and you know I'm a Vikings reporter. I'm not a roof reporter. I don't really care. Because you're never assuming the roof's going to collapse. <laughs> you're not thinking
3: the worst-case scenario is and game cancer. I
1: remember I went to bed that night, and I woke up at you 6.30, know, 7 the next Sunday, and I've got a text from Seifert from like 4.58 a.m. It collapsed. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, the roof collapsed. It's Amazing. down. And so, I li- okay, so this is where... For me, it all jumped the shark. So now we've gone from, this seems odd, it could be a gong show to, it is a gong show, but it's an amusing gong show, you know, the Moss thing. I love the Moss thing. It was great. Mm-hmm. To, oh my God, what's going on here? Why am I being tortured? Um And so I remember thinking to myself, what should I do? Like, do I go down there and check out the Metrodome? And th- at this point, I'm still the Star Tribune. The Star Champions right across the street from the um, Metrodome. and Or do I stay here or because they're not playing. Right. Oh, and the and, and the Giants, who they're supposed to play, had been diverted to Kansas City and told just stay in Kansas City because we can't get you to Minneapolis. So there's no, going to be no game. So I'm like, I tell Dawn, my wife, I said, let's just drive me down there. Um, So I remember I went down to the paper and I'm working at the paper and then they're like, there's going to be access at the Metrodome. They're, they're going to show you. You can walk into the press box and see. And I remember walking in and it's a war zone. Like the roof is on the field, the field is full of snow. That would have,
0: by the way, if that had happened, a few hours later, when people are on the field and bustling. Well, you've that, seen that the kill. have been somebody. slightly problematic. You've seen yeah.
1: the clip, right, of the poor the guy, guy driving on the Cushman. The, cart. Yeah. the Cushman. He's getting right, the it Cushman. It was the fox camera
3: and, that they had set up,
1: and the fox guy. And no. God bless him. He was the one who had the foresight to leave the camera on. He's like, I'm going home, but I can see it's geysering through the roof. He's the one who saw it coming down. So anyway, I went in there and looked at it. And I remember I'm in the press box and we're getting quotes from, I think, the sports commission. And Chip calls. He's like, they're going to Detroit. And I'm like, what? He's like, we're planning to Detroit on Monday night. We got to go. And so I remember sitting in the airport Sunday night with Chip. Well, actually, Dawn picked me back up from downtown, and that's when I got in her car. And my story, personally, my best story of that year was I looked around. I said, it's too much now. Like, I can't do this anymore. Uh, it's become this is like taxi This this is costing me years. And um, I remember I, she drove me out to the airport, and I'm sitting there with Chip in the airport eating dinner. And we looked at each other and we're like, we're really. And by the way, this was. They hadn't played the Lions yet. So they were going back to Detroit. Right. Um. And I remember looking at Chip and we're both like, this is now unbelievable. Like, just from a personal standpoint. Right. Forget the team.
3: I remember checking into a hotel that night right by, you know, in Romulus, Michigan. We probably right, by, right the, by you. Right I'm by the right. hotel yeah. and going to like some terrible bar to like try to eat something and like having a. 30-second conversation with myself going, what city am I in? Yeah. Where am I? Because I, dri- I was driving to the studio to do the Sunday morning show with Sue because I used to, at 1500, we'd do the show. We'd tape the last hour, the last half hour, and then I would beeline it to the stadium and get there right before kickoff that year. And, you know, and, yeah, the, the roof, you know, the roof had collapsed. We end up in Detroit. The following week – is that game's moved to TCF, which when Favre was ruled out, and then upgraded questionable on game day, which the Bears the following... And then started, which the Bears the following year pulled the greatest, like, no FU move of all time, listed, like, three guys, including Charles Tillman, as doubtful, and they all suited up
1: (laughs) as a payback. amazing. Can I tell you, though, my favorite part about the Detroit game against the Giants? So, they... It's the Giants and Vikings in Detroit and in Field, And God bless Detroit. It's God second, Like it's Detroit. So they literally come out and announce anybody who wants to go can go for free.
3: Oh, that's right. Okay.
1: so oh, So we know. are standing, and I think I was with you, Tommy. On the field. Yeah. Because yep. the Vikings, okay, the Lions don't let you on the field before games if you're just a, a media creden- credentialed person, but the Vikings did at the time. So the Vikings are like, well, these are our rules. So This you, was
3: basically going to be an empty stadium anyway. Yeah. There was
1: no rules. And it was like a Vikings home game. So, we, so they, they had announced, if you want to come to the game, come to the game. Well, you know, Detroit, it's got some rough spots, got some rough people. Literally, the first thing I see, the doors open – and we're standing on the field, and we're looking up in the stands, is a guy well, take it from here, you saw it there were just hundreds of people, but running. The first thing I saw was a guy run into the stadium, hit a seat, and fly <laughs> <laughs> and the last th- the first so the first thing I see is a man and, I mean it's not even funny, but it's but it was just emblematic of that season um he's literally flying head first into the next seat, and again you're like.
3: What? It was just total total and complete chaos. People sprinting in. You know, I remember I remember it was you or Chip who said it, but like they're gonna be finding people hiding in closets oh, it was for me. a month after I this. said the,
1: the poor homeless. I mean I don't mean to be flipping here, but it's Detroit. They're gonna be hiding below seats forever here. Um but that, and they I just were and, the the, and they
3: tried to like they I don't remember if they painted the logos on the field, but they definitely had all the Vikings graphics. Oh, no, they did. Graphics. No,
1: they painted the Viking logo on the field.
3: <laughs> just to make it feel a little bit more cozy for the Vikings. They were doing
1: the, the skull.
3: If, they were doing the, the horn and the whole
1: thing. And this is before the skull chant. Right. So was just, just the just horn.
3: About. It was bizarre. How many Vikings fans made the trek for that game? A couple Not, hundred. None. <laughs> I don't know. I They chartered like two planes and people came. So... I mean, they lose that game. Falling week is the Favre uh, out, questionable, starts game. Corey Wooten hits him, and he goes down in, like, the chalk outline pose and is down on the field for 30
0: seconds. But you got to I mean, tell. Out.
1: But, so the only reason why that game. So they tried to move that game to Atlanta, which I think they were going to. But the issue was that was 50 years of Vikings football. So they're, they're going to have a huge celebration. And this was way pre-planned at the convention center. So the Vikings decide, come hell or high water, we're going to play this game at TCF Bank Stadium. They don't have, as you said, Phil, they don't have heating coils in the field yet. And so that's the one where Cluey tweets, hey, you guys did a great job, great effort. Someone's going to die if you do this. So I remember showing up to the convention center (laughs) and the Vikings PR guy, Bob Hagen, who I, great guy, love him dearly, pulls me aside. He's like, that's just a punter. Don't listen to him. I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, I'm mean, again, I'm coming cover- by this point. I'm covering the team. So, and I'm going to suspend my belief. I don't care. Like, let's just get through this. And, um, so the Vikings do the honor and, by and the ceremony is awesome, but who knew the guy who almost would die would be Brett Favre. Yeah.
3: And, and he- I mean, he went down hard and McKinney, where Wooden comes off the M- offensive left. edge. McKinney and whipped him, him and just, he went down. It was Chalk outline, one arm up, one arm down, yep. legs spread out. down on the field, out. That's before. I mean, that was the catalyst for the NFL not letting guys who have concussions do press conferences. I've been told since Brett did that press conference and was not with it. So we were after all the game.
1: So we all showed up to the to the post game press conferences. Are like, okay, Brett's not coming in. They're like, oh, don't don't count on that. So Brett comes in and he is. Out on his feet, but yet he's Brett. Hey, everybody, so he could, but but he's Brett. So he, he starts. Like so he just starts talking. Like you would
3: never. This would never happen now.
1: But Tom's right. That was flat out the whole catalyst for that. I think it was the next year they changed. They did. It. They did. And I've since been told by a member yeah. of the Vikings was, PR yeah. department that that was a big mistake. But Brett was by that point. Brett's like, I'll, I'll just go in and talk,
3: man. Yep, amazing. And then the following week is the Philly game that gets on a Tuesday delayed by a day because or by two days because the mayor declares a state of emergency. Mayor Nutter declared a state of emergency. This is whole. This is a whole for podcast. Like a half inch of snow because they thought it was going to be the blizzard well, wait, of the century. Wait.
1: Okay. So we get to we get there. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. It's going to be a.
3: We're staying at the Vikings Hotel downtown mm-hmm. Philly.
1: Rich Sheridan. The Ritz. The Ritz. Okay, so we Rich get in Carlton. there on or Ritz, Ritz Carlton. So we get there on a Saturday, <laughs> right? Class. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Hold on. Bleep you. So we get there on a Saturday, right? Right. For a. Yep. So, it's we're all there, and we're all like, okay, this is good. So they're like, there's gonna be a snowstorm. We're like, and you know, we're from Minnesota. We're like, whatever. Gonna be a snowstorm? Big deal. Mayor declares state of emergency. So that's the one where Scoggins is, calls me. He's like, We got to get out of here. We got to go stay out by the Then he calls life. me. I'm not even affiliated
3: with you guys. And he still tells hey, me the same thing Tom, I we got to get out. You know, I got caught in the city.
1: We were trying to take care of you. So we all go. We got to go. We got to go. So we go. all go stay out by the airport. And we're out by the airport and here's from the
3: Ritz Carlton to a Renaissance, which generally is a nice hotel. That one was not.
1: And to be clear, the only reason why the NFL didn't play that game on a Monday was because they had played the um, Giants game on a Monday in Detroit and had been told unequivocally, you won't do that again. Because it was Monday Night Football, and then they regionalized the Giants-Vikings game. Right, it wasn't a national TV game. It wasn't. Yeah. So ESPN's like, you ain't doing that twice to us. So they're like, okay, Tuesday Night Football. So,
0: Which is now called Maction, actually, on ESPN. Yeah. It's great.
1: So anyway, wait, wait, but there's more. Because tell the story about the Tuesday Night Game. The which part? The Tuesday Night Game itself. The Tuesday Night Game was... Well, I was
3: going to rewind to when we're at that terrible renaissance. We're the only three... Like it is a full-on post-apocalyptic. Everyone else is dead, and it's only me, Judd, and Chip that are still alive. Like no one else in the hotel. I remember getting in the hot tub, and the whole hot tub shook at the hotel. I was like, in the
1: bar, you dummy. I didn't go to the. I, I didn't go. To well, the then,
3: then there was that we were at the bar, and I know I've told this because you guys broke this out and put it on social the story. But walking into a bathroom stall, and I still to this day want to know the backstory. Of why someone tried to flush their tidy whitey underwear <laughs> and they got caught in the back of the toilet. Oh. And just like your mind begins to spin at that point. Uh but so we're there for like three days. Then the Tuesday game, Joe Webb is the starting quarterback. Uh Fred Pugitz dials up, you know. Very good game plan. He had taken over when Leslie Frazier went to the head coaching job. Slot blitzes left and right. From they were pressuring him. Joe Webb made a bunch of plays. That's going, hey, maybe Joe Webb can be the quarterback. And then basically you never saw Joe Webb at quarterback until the playoff, playoff game, game yeah. in Green Bay.
1: When he was great in the first series. But uh, yeah,
3: When in the first series they ran zone read. And then the rest of the game tried to have him play quarterback, which didn't work out as well. Um, but they won that game. And that was, so at that point now, they're 3-2 and since Leslie Frazier took over for Brad Childress, and that spurred the Wilfs even before the finale in Detroit, back in Detroit against the actual team that plays there, to make Leslie Frazier the head coach, which then set the stage for the next three years.
1: And meanwhile, as Tom just said, Favre's consecutive game streak, which was legendary, had come to an end, and by that point we were so exhausted that nobody really
3: cared. No one cared. Seriously,
0: well,
1: by the time that came, it to ended. That-
3: it ended with the Giants game in Detroit. Yes, because he did a press conference that day too. Yes, and we're in a stocking cap, and it was. It was like ten of us there, and just it's over. And but he had been he had been over it for a while.
1: I I will say this: by the end of that year for Favre, there was. I'm not sure how Tom felt about this. I felt there was a definite sense of relief, like he was ready. I don't think he ever wanted to come back. That's what I said in that
3: press conference of everybody for, you know, and he pushed himself. I mean, that was that was part of what defined him. But for however long it had been, 15 years, 16, 17 years, he had never missed a start. And that was the expectation. No matter what he was dealing with, he was going to be out there. It, that's a load off your shoulders
1: once that's over. The weird thing with Brett, too, was in covering him in 2003 and four, and then as a Viking, you know, he was always bound and determined to do his thing, but he was also very intent, and not—and this is not the wrong thing, on the fact that he felt like he was going to feel. And I really think he felt coming back in 2010 was the wrong move, and in some weird way, I almost think how wrong it went justified how he had felt about it. Like, 2009 was such an accomplishment for him, and go look at his stats. That year is an MVP-type of season. So in some ways, I think he came back. He felt forced to come back in 2010. He did it for other people, and I almost felt...
3: He back for the boys.
1: And I Absolutely. almost felt he felt justified in this was the wrong move, and I knew it was the wrong move. Where 2009, if it had fallen apart, I think he would have been cross But it didn't fall apart. He was marvelous. Yeah.
3: But also some part of him, you know, call it ego, call it confidence, whatever, he believed when he came back they still had a chance. And it just became so apparent by week two, right? This was not going to happen. Even week one, like they didn't play well on offense, but it was like a five-point game. Like they were in it. Week two, when they lose to a not a good Dolphins team, you were. It was very apparent this isn't going to work out. That that was what made that whole season go. Was that you had these ebbs and flows from the week two. We're all done to Randy Moss to Randy Moss to Childers Fired <laughs> to, you know, the roof collapse. I mean, they, they were just, I, I can't think of another season like it for any team.
0: I, no, no. And we, like it.
1: and we definitely, in this town, I hope to God, never see that again because it was. A part of you kind of wants it. No, no, no. You know what? It was too much for me. It was <laughs> – I I like – Judd's going to go – Th- That season created the Judd you see here. Yeah, yeah it did. I really <laughs> – I, I enjoy confusion and chaos, but it, that was too much. Yeah. There was too much at, at work there. And because the whole Favre storyline through 2009 and ten was enough, like just Brett Favre himself. That was a great story, and it was really cool. But that went so off the rails and so <laughs> wrong, and so many people were – Ultimately, in some ways, altered and or damaged by it,
0: including Judd's old guy. Yeah, it, it,
1: it was it was really bizarre. Well, gentlemen, it's been my pleasure
0: to throw the ball in the air and get out of the way for this entire show. This was amazing. And if you're listening and you're new to Minnesota Sports Rewind, we'd appreciate you subscribe on Apple or Spotify. Give us a five star review. And, uh, and and leave a comment. Leave a comment of encouragement for Judd Zolgad, who is we a, a decade of therapy later here. Uh, removed from And the now it's all season. come back to him. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Nightmares for days. <laughs> yeah. Thanks to Tom Pellicera from NFL Network, Judd Zolgad. I'm Phil Mackey from Score North. And again, this has been Minnesota Sports Rewind, available Apple, Spotify, or the Score North app. And, uh, we hope that you've either enjoyed or are now terrified for the rest of your life after listening, uh, to us blab about the 2010 disaster Viking season.